Letter sixty nine of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter sixty nine. Why don't I subscribe, sister? asked my dearest Lady Davers. I have not had the courage to do it of late for my title to that honour arises from the dear, thrice-dear Mr. B., and how long I may be permitted to call him mine I cannot say, but since you command it I will call your ladyship by that beloved name, let the rest happen as God shall see fit. Mr. B. cannot be unpolite in the main, but he is cold and a little cross and short in his speeches to me. I try to hide my grief from everybody and most from him, for neither my parents nor Miss Darnford know anything from me. Mrs. Jervis, from whom I seldom hide anything as she is on the spot with me, hears not my complainings nor my uneasiness, for I would not lessen the dear man." He may yet see the error of the way he is in, God grant it for his own sake as well as mine. I am even sorry your ladyship is afflicted with the knowledge of the matter. The unhappy lady, God forgive her, is to be pitied. She loves him, and having strong passions and being unused to be controlled, is lost to a sense of honor and justice. From these wicked masquerades springs all the unhappiness. My Spaniard was too amiable, and met with a lady who was no nun but in habit. Every one was taken with him in that habit, so suited to the natural dignity of his person. Oh, these wicked masquerades! I am all patience in appearance, all uneasiness in reality. I did not think I could, especially in this most affecting point, be such an hypocrite. Your ladyship knows not what it has cost me to be able to assume that character. Yet my eyes are swelled with crying and look red, although I am always breathing on my hand and patting them with it, and my warm breath to hide the distress that will from my overcharged heart appear in them. Then he says, what's the matter with the little fool? You are always in this way of late. What ails you, Pamela? Only a little vaporish, sir. Don't be angry at me. Billy, I thought, was not very well. This boy will spoil your temper. At this rate, what should be your joy will become your misfortune. Don't receive me in this manner, I charge you. In what manner, sir, I always receive you with a grateful heart. If anything troubles me, it is in your absence. But see, sir, then I try to smile and seem pleased. I am all sunshine. Now you are come. Don't you see I am? Yes, your sunshine of late is all through a cloud. I know not what's the matter with you. Your temper will alter, and then it shan't alter, sir. It shan't, if I can help it. And then I kissed his hand, that dear hand that perhaps was last about his more beloved countess's neck. Distracting reflection. But come, maybe I think the worst. To be sure, I do, for my apprehensions were ever aforehand with events, and bad must be the case if it be worse than I think it. You command me to let you know what I have heard and how I came to hear it. 
I told your ladyship in one of my former that two gentlemen brought up to the law, but above the practice of it, though I doubt not above practices less honourable, had visited us on coming to town. They have been often here since, Mr. Turner particularly, and sometimes by himself, when Mr. B. has happened to be out, and he it was, as I guessed, that gave me at the wicked masquerade the advice to look after my Musidorus. I did not like their visits, and his much less, for he seemed to be a man of intriguing spirit. But about three weeks ago, Mr. B., setting out upon a party of pleasure to Oxford, he came and pretended great business with me. I was at breakfast in the parlour, only Polly attending me, and admitted him to drink a dish of chocolate with me. When Polly had stepped out, he told me, after many apologies, that he had discovered who the nun was at the masquerade that had engaged Mr. B. I said it was very indifferent to me who the lady was. He replied, making still more apologies, and pretending great reluctance to speak out, that it was no less a lady than the young Countess Dowager of blank a lady noted for her wit and beauty, but of a gay disposition, though he believed not yet culpable. I was alarmed, but would not let him see it, and told Mr. Turner that I was so well satisfied in Mr. B.'s affection for me, and his well-known honour, that I could not think myself obliged to any gentleman who should endeavour to give me a less opinion of either than I ought to have. He then bluntly told me that the very party Mr. B. was upon was with the Countess, for one, and Lord Blank, who had married her sister. I said I was glad he was in such good company, and wished him every pleasure in it. He hoped, he said, he might trust to my discretion, that I would not let Mr. B. know from whom I had the information, that indeed his motive in mentioning it was self-interest, having presumed to make some overture of an honourable nature to the Countess in his own behalf, which had been rejected since that masquerade night. And, he hoped, the prudent use I would make of the intimation might somehow be a means to break off that correspondence before it was attended with bad consequences. I told him coldly, though it stung me to the heart, that I was fully assured of Mr. B.'s honour, and was sorry he, Mr. Turner, had so bad an opinion of a lady to whom he professed so high a consideration. And rising up, will you excuse me, sir, that I cannot attend at all to such a subject as this? I think I ought not, and so must withdraw." only madam one word he offered to take my hand but i would not permit it he then swore a great oath that he had told me his true and only motive that letters had passed between the countess and mr b adding but i beg you'll keep it within your own breast else from two such hasty spirits as his and mine it might be attended with still worse consequences i will never sir enter into a subject that is not proper to be communicated every tittle of it to mr b and this must be my excuse for withdrawing and away i went from him your ladyship will judge with how uneasy a heart 
which became more so when I sat down to reflect upon what he had told me, but I was resolved to give it as little credit as I could, or that anything would come of it, till Mr. B.'s own behaviour should convince me, to my affliction, that I had some reason to be alarmed. So I opened not my lips about it, not even to Mrs. Jervis. At Mr. B.'s return I received him in my usual affectionate and unreserved manner, and he behaved himself to me with his accustomed goodness and kindness, or at least with so little difference that had not Mr. Turner's officiousness made me more watchful, I should not have perceived it. But next day a letter was brought by a footman for Mr. B. He was out, so John gave it to me. The superscription was a lady's writing, the seal, the dowager ladies, with a coronet. This gave me great uneasiness, and when Mr. B. came in, I said, Here is a letter for you, sir, and from a lady, too. What then? said he, with quickness. I was balked and withdrew, for I saw him turn the seal about and about, as if he would see whether I had endeavoured to look into it. He needed not to have been so afraid, for I would not have done such a thing had I known my life was to depend upon it. I went up and could not help weeping at his quick answer, yet I did my endeavour to hide it when he came up. Was not my girl a little inquisitive upon me just now? I spoke pleasantly, sir, but you were very quick on your girl. Tis my temper, my dear, you know I mean nothing, you should not mind it. I should not, sir, if I had been used to it. He looked at me with sternness. Do you doubt my honour, madam? Madam, did you say, sir, I won't take that word. Dear sir, call it back. I won't be called madam. Call me your girl, your rustic, your Pamela. Call me anything but madam. My charmer, then, my life, my soul, will any of those do? And saluted me. But whatever you do, let me not see that you have any doubts of my honour to you. The very mention of the word, dear sir, is a security to me. I want no other. I cannot doubt. But if you speak short to me, how shall I bear that? He withdrew, speaking nothing of the contents of his letter, as I dare say he would had the subject been such as he chose to mention to me. We being alone after supper, I took the liberty to ask him who was of his party to Oxford. He named the Viscountess Blank and her lord, Mr. Howard and his daughter, Mr. Herbert and his lady, and I had a partner too, my dear, to represent you. I am much obliged to the lady, sir, be she who she would. Why, my dear, you are so engaged in your nursery, then this was a sudden thing, as you know I told you. Nay, sir, as long as it was agreeable to you, I had nothing to do but to be pleased with it. He watched my eyes and the turn of my countenance. You look, Pamela, as if you'd be glad to return the lady thanks in person. Shall I engage her to visit you? She longs to see you. Sir, sir, hesitated I, as you please. I can't, I can't be displeased. Displeased, interrupted he, why that word, and why that hesitation in your answer? You speak very volubly, my dear, when you're not moved. Dear sir, said I, almost as quick as he was, why should I be moved? What occasion is there for it? I hope you have a better opinion of me than, than what, Pamela? What would you say? I know you are a little jealous rogue, I know you are. But, dear sir, why do you impute jealousy to me on this score? 
what a creature must i be if you could not be abroad with a lady but i must be jealous of you no sir i have reason to rely upon your honour and i do rely upon it and-and what why my dear you are giving me assurances as if you thought the case required it ah thought i so it does i see too plainly or apprehend i do but i durst not say so nor give him any hint about my informant though now confirmed of the truth of what mr turner had said yet i resolved if possible not to alter my conduct but my frequent weepings when by myself could not be hid as i wished my eyes not keeping my heart's counsel and this gives occasion to some of the stern words which i have mentioned above all that he further said at this time was with a negligent yet a determined air well pamela don't be doubtful of my honour you know how much i love you but one day or other i shall gratify this lady's curiosity and bring her to pay you a visit and you shall see you need not be ashamed of her acquaintance whenever you please sir was all i cared to say farther for i saw he was upon the catch and looked steadfastly upon me whenever i moved my lips and i am not a finished hypocrite and he can read the lines of one's face and the motions of one's heart i think i am sure mine is a very uneasy one but till i reflected and weighed well the matter it was worse and my natural imperfection of this sort made me see a necessity to be more watchful over myself and to doubt my own prudence and thus i reasoned when he withdrew here thought i i have had a greater proportion of happiness without alloy fallen to my share than any of my sex and i ought to be prepared for some trials tis true this is of the sorest kind tis worse than death itself to me who had an opinion of the dear man's reformation and prided myself not a little on that account so that the blow is full upon my sore place tis on the side i could be the most easily penetrated but achilles could be touched only in his heel and if he was to die by an enemy's hands must not the arrow find out that only vulnerable place my jealousy is that place with me as your ladyship observes but it is seated deeper than the heel it is in my heart the barbed dart has found that out and there it sticks up to the very feathers yet thought i i will take care that i do not exasperate him by upbraidings when i should try to move him by patience and forbearance for the breach of his duty cannot warrant the neglect of mine my business is to reclaim and not to provoke and when if it please god this storm shall be overblown let me not by my present behaviour leave any room for heart-burnings but like a skilful surgeon so heal the wound to the bottom though the operation be painful that it may not fester and break out again with fresh violence on future misunderstandings if any shall happen well but thought i let the worst come to the worst he perhaps may be so good as to permit me to pass the remainder of my days with my dear billy in kent with my father and mother and so when i cannot rejoice in possession of a virtuous husband i shall be employed in praying for him and enjoy a twofold happiness that of doing my own duty to my dear baby a pleasing entertainment this and that of comforting my worthy parents 
and being comforted by them a no small consolation and who knows but i may be permitted to steal a visit now and then to dear lady davers and be called sister and be deemed a faultless sister too but remember my dear lady that if ever it comes to this i will not bear that for my sake you shall with too much asperity blame your brother for i will be ingenious to find excuses or extenuations for him and i will now and then in some disguised habit steal the pleasure of seeing him and his happier countess and give him with a silent tear my blessing for the good i and mine have reaped at his hands but oh if he takes from me my billy who must after all be his heir and gives him to the cruel countess he will at once burst asunder the strings of my heart for oh my happy rivalous if you tear from me my husband he is in his own disposal and i cannot help it nor can i indeed if he will give you my billy but this i am sure of that my child and my life must go together your ladyship will think i rave indeed i am almost crazed at times for the dear man is so negligent so cold so haughty that i cannot bear it he says just now you are quite altered pamela i believe i am madam but what can i do he knows not that i know so much i dare not tell him for he will have me then reveal my intelligencer and what may be the case between them i weep in the night when he is asleep and in the day when he is absent and i am happy when i can unobserved steal this poor relief i believe already i have shed as many tears as would drown my baby how many more i may have to shed god only knows for o oh, madam after all my fortitude and my recollection to fall from so much happiness and so soon is a trying thing but i will still hope the best and should this matter blow over i shall be ashamed of my weakness and the trouble i must give to your generous heart for one so undeservedly favoured by you as your obliged sister and most humble servant p b dear madam let no soul see any part of this our present correspondence for your brother's sake and your sake and my sake End of letter sixty nine